Welcome to Journey Church Tucson Sermon Podcast. We are an evangelical free church seeking to honor God by making disciples that learn about, love like, and live for Jesus. All right, well, welcome back to the Journey Church Midweek uh, podcast. I keep on wanting to say sermon podcast because yeah. I've listened to you say that a bunch, but it is the Journey Church Midweek podcast. We'll come up with a fancier name if we keep on doing this. It'll just work itself yeah, out. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure something out with it. Uh, I'm here with Kyle Peart. Uh, he helps us with our podcast and our production uh, and does a bunch of other things around the church, including, including leading a men's group. And uh, we're just doing a brief uh, series in this midweek podcast as we look at each of the discipleship classes that are going to be taught at Journey Church. That's right. Uh, so last week, if you go back and listen to the podcast, uh, we had Jim and Stacy on talking about their marriage class, which I'm really excited for. Marriage yeah. is a huge part of uh, how God made us. It's a huge part of ministry life. It's, mm-hmm. um, you know, for those who are married or want to get married, a lot of our well-being and flourishing and how God works in us is tied to our marriage. So I'm really excited for that. Yeah. And I will point out real quick, there is a daycare opportunity. I don't know if anyone caught that in the the benediction today, you know, when you were sharing, but like, this is a cool opportunity. So like, take advantage of it. I I mean, mean, probably the biggest reason my wife and I don't go on as many dates as we should is the fact that we have a seven-year-old and a five-year-old and now a three-month-old. And so it's just, you know, getting, getting kids, uh, covered and being able, and I actually don't know how much a babysitter goes these oh, it's but, it, yeah. I, mean, it's in, I yeah. gotta assume it's quite like, a market. Yeah, I, I assume with the gaggle of kids you got running around there, that it's a small homeschool, dude. Yeah, was, that's exactly. what that was the problem solver. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's on February fourteenth, Valentine's Day. Yeah, uh, we'll have childcare provided for everybody who signs up for Jim and Stacy's class to uh, to go on a drop their kids off at church, go on a date, come back. Uh, hear Jim have dessert with Jim and Stacy as they introduce so cool. their class, introduce some of the topics, uh, and then at 8 p.m. pick their kids up from uh, our fantastic kids ministry team, which is going to be yep. um, covering them for us. It's really neat. Yeah. yeah. So that's that class, right? And then I am going to hand over hosting duties to you because we're going to talk about my class, mm-hmm. which is on uh, politics and cultural confusion and what Christians should think and do about it. Yeah. Wow. So that's a mouthful, right? Mm-hmm. And like immediately, like maybe people are even thinking, why, like, why, 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 why are you, mm-hmm. why are you going down this road? This yeah. is like, are you just setting yourself up for failure? Mm-hmm. You know, there's just so many emotional responses right now that stir up. And even within myself, I'm like, man, I have so many questions of like the church and how it's related to politics. And everyone has an opinion, right? And, mm-hmm. and, in the end, like there's there, there's going to be a couple questions we're going to get into, mm-hmm. but like ultimately, it really comes down to like why, as a church, are you teaching on politics? Like, right. Let's let's hash that out first. Yeah, I think the the importance of teaching on politics is that politics has slowly become uh, like ubiquitous everywhere in our lives, mm-hmm. and. On top of that, as it's become, as it's started co-opting more places in our lives, uh, it has also become more contentious to the point where I was a college pastor in 2016. My church and I agreed with the decision at the time. We decided not to talk about politics either in the main service or in the college ministry. We thought, hey, we don't want to present ourselves as being partisan, which is agreeing agreeing with or uh, supporting a party. And so we didn't want to talk about politics then because we thought we would be viewed as too partisan. And so we decided to hold off and kind of, um, my understanding is the appropriate term is sort of counter-program. So not only do, instead of talking about politics, we talked about these other things that we thought people should fill their minds and hearts with. Uh, But, I mean, honestly, there's just so much content that people consume about politics, whether it's talk radio, driving to and from work, whether it's a podcast you listen to when you go for a run or working out or, um, you know, the news on at night or in the morning. There's just so much content we consume about politics that it starts to take up so much of our mind that there, there's just no way to really counter-program well. Mm. Uh, and so by in 2016, we found that uh, 
we hadn't talked about politics, we had attempted to counter-program, and we still experienced all the tension and contention between not just, uh, you know, the interesting thing is we were not going to talk about it because we, at the church I was a part of at the time, viewed itself as very, uh, they, they wouldn't have liked the term seeker-friendly, but it was very much an externally focused evangelistic church. So we were trying okay. to invite non-believers in. We were, we were creating groups that non-believers could come to. We had a coffee shop that was open 24, not 24-7, but it was open every day of the week uh, so that people, non-Christians, were on our campus. And we wanted, to, we wanted to create a space where they felt comfortable coming. And if we... Uh, if we the two things that we didn't do were explicitly ask for money and talk about politics because we thought those would be a turnoff to people. The two things that kind of yeah, yeah. stand and, people off. And what we found out was uh, in not talking about politics, we didn't make ourselves a more habitable place, a more friendly place for non-believers. What we did is made ourselves a more contentious place for believers. Yeah. That they didn't know where we stood on certain things and they didn't know what the Bible Among taught about other. certain things. Yeah. And so then we started to feed, there started to be tension and stress and anxiety about how to interact with friends within the church not yep. friends you're hoping to invite to church yep uh and so that was 2016 in 2020 i was uh co-pastoring a church plant in the same town and where i come from in california is very very progressive okay. um, and we decided we were going to do a one-time midweek kind of thing about politics and it was showing a video series uh on on politics and christians and i thought the video it was a one midweek day and i thought the video was great the the speaker that that did it i thought he did great touched on a bunch of different things but it quite frankly it was over a lot of people's heads it was yeah. a one-time thing and it was very philosophical so in my class i want to get into some of the philosophy and i want to define some terms i want to unpack it but we're going to spread it out over 11 weeks rather than oh cool on one given sunday because yeah. it was just way too much uh it was too hard to talk about the important issues and get kind of behind the scenes and what we found is there were other issues not just how to think about politics but what resources are you going to and so in that second church we found out it wasn't the problem wasn't just that people didn't know how to think about politics but it mm. was people are engaging with and reading all sorts of things all over the internet all sorts of things on tv uh, from, and I want to be kind here, but they were varying levels of credible. Uh, and mm. so you had people engaging with stuff that was just, it was, I, I would say. The, Regurgitating maybe some stuff that they just heard on five Yeah, well, and not just that. There were people who, I'll, I'll say, if they believed what they were saying, they're, uh, they probably shouldn't have a TV show. And if they didn't believe it, they were lying to make people angry. Mm. And... And so we found out there was tension in our church because not because we were trying to avoid the subject matter in that second church, but because people were intaking things that were produced for the purpose of upsetting them. Absolutely. And so it's the what I have come to believe is the church needs to speak about these political issues because it is in the local congregations. Like if if you are a member of my church, you know Jim and I love you. And so if we disagree on something or then and we're able to unpack the theology, the philosophy, what's going on, if we're able to define terms and things like that, I think we can disagree on politics or on certain political issues and yep. come to a place where there's understanding uh, and it doesn't degrade community. Um, I mean, 50 years ago, you didn't have a church where it was... 80 to 100 percent Republican or 80 to 100 percent Democrat. You yeah. you looking around wouldn't be able to assume that people voted for a particular political party simply because they were in your church because yeah. it wasn't as contentious, it wasn't as divisive among Christians and the political theologies, the worldviews of each political party uh, were much closer together. Yeah, and we have been destabilized. Mm -hmm. uh by our political parties and now we don't exist in that world and the uniformity among most people leads to a uh leads to either assumptions about what we believe politically or it leads to concern if i feel like i'm in the out group i can't talk about yep. these things and if i can't talk about them who am i going to go to for information 
I'm not going to go to my brothers and sisters in the church that love me and that I see worshiping God. Uh, I'm going to go to somebody else who may be, as I said before, paid to make me angry about yeah. the thing. And so how does that, how is that going to make me feel about people in my church who disagree with me politically? Goodness. Yeah. Yeah. It, and like, I'm thinking about the questions ahead of time, like mm-hmm. the things that we, we want to hash out here and just kind of encourage people on the direction of the, of, of the actual discipleship class. But like, you know, the common saying is, you know, there's two things you don't talk about religion and, and politics, uh-huh. right? But it sounds like with the first church that you were at, it was like you were trying, there's this elephant in the room at all times, right? Mm-hmm. And everyone's trying to figure out where people are coming from and their worldview yeah. and, and their philosophy on life. And so when they're, when they're walking into a church, there's an elephant in the room. And if you're avoiding the elephant, like the church, it sounds like tried to put the elephant outside the doors. And yeah. that actually made things worse yes. because it's like that elephant still managed his way, mm-hmm. squeezed through the doors and he's hanging out and you just didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. So, and then the second church, it sounds like you, you wanted to observe the elephant, but it was just like way over their heads because everyone was like, yeah, we need to talk about this elephant, but it's, it's so much crammed into one class. Yes. So, it, you know... I think in the simplest terms that we can say, it's just so necessary to talk about these things. And the reason why people don't want to talk about them is because maybe there's a little bit of power control there, uh, stimulating mm-hmm. the emotions, like you're saying, really drawing them in the way they want to go. But um, it, I guess the question is, you know, a lot of people say the church is not supposed to talk about it, but can you kind of emphasize further on that? Can you dig a little deeper on why we are supposed to or... You know, yeah. that assumption is that we aren't supposed to talk about it. So yeah, why? I, I think the assumption, so there's two places that comes from. One is the the saying that you brought up. It's like two things you don't talk about at dinner is religion and politics. Yeah. Unfortunately, I'm a pastor. So if you ask about what I do for work, <laughs> I have to talk about religion. Tyler's quiet. And then, <laughs> and then I'm getting my doctorate in what, in the program that I'm pursuing my doctorate in is called public theology. So it's ethics and public theology. But if I was doing the exact same program in the United Kingdom, it would be called political theology. Oh, interesting. Um, so there's a sense in which it's, you know, if you go, oh, what do you what do? You do? It's, yeah. Well, I got to talk about religion. What do you study? Well, I got to talk <laughs> about religion and politics, uh, theology and politics. Don't invite so, uh, Tyler over yeah, for dinner if you so don't want to talk about religion gets, and politics. Yeah, it, make, it makes the airplane ride back from Kentucky real fun, is what I'll say. <laughs> That's good. Uh, but yeah. But you have, this, you have this perspective of, yeah, you're not supposed to talk about it. And so there's one thing is that you're not supposed to talk about it for, and that, that saying is usually about like around the dinner table. Mm-hmm. So the idea then is civil peace. For peace at my dinner table, I'm not supposed to talk about donkey and elephant, mm-hmm. red and blue, uh, Republican, Democrat. And then the other thing, the other place where an assumption or a saying about the church not speaking about politics comes from is something like when I was in late high school, early college, uh, there was a lot of talk about religion in the political sphere. And that turned a bunch of people off. And this is sort of towards the height of, you could think of like the mega church seeker friendly movement. Hmm. And it turned a lot of people off. And, and just for example, uh, in the Republican primary in the leading up to the 2000 election, so that election ended up being Democrat Al Gore versus Republican George W. Bush. Yeah. In the primary, the Republican candidates were asked, who's your favorite or who's the most influential philosopher in your life? And one of the things that political commentators trace back to giving George W. Bush the kind of putting him ahead of the pack is his answer to the question was Jesus of Nazareth. Mm. Uh, and then in the Democratic primary in that same year, there was a, a video uh, because they took, it was I think the first time in a debate they took questions from the audience, but the, the questions had to be recorded ahead of time. Okay. And so there was a video where there was a guy and he just holds up a Bible, shows the spine of the book, and he says, my only question is, what do you believe about this book? And I, he doesn't go on. That's it's just the question, cut, and then give it to the guys to answer. But it's the, wow. The reason why that's interesting is you have no idea what he means by that. Mm-hmm. You have no idea. Does he want you to say, well, I believe it's the inspired and errant word of God, and I base everything I do in my life off of it? Or, well, you know, I think it's good for moral teaching, but mm-hmm. I really think that you know we've kind of moved past religion with looking at things like science or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Or do you think he just says, well, I think it's full of myths? Like mm-hmm. you don't know what the the person asking that question believes. 
but that's a in that context, a lot of political conversation was taking place that had to do with religion. So you had this idea of religion was in politics. Mm -hmm. And people viewed that for whatever reason. There's probably many different reasons. People viewed that as bad for the politics. So they wanted to get religion out of politics. So then it became, you know, then you have in a debate when George W. Bush runs for his second term, he's debating John Kerry. And John Kerry's asked about abortion. And he quotes a famous saying from uh, Mario Cuomo, not Andrew Cuomo, but his father, Mario Cuomo, who said, well, I'm personally opposed to abortion, but I can't. I can't put my theological or religious opinions, he was a Catholic, a theological or religious opinions as a Catholic on the populace. Mm. So so you start to see the separation come out where, well, I put religion in one side and politics in the other side. Separate them. Mm. And to a certain extent, on some issues, I think you can do that. So I think mm. if you're trying to figure out tax policy, I think you can read the Bible and you can think about how the Bible conceptualizes a healthy society. Okay. And you could then go, based off of this, there's probably a handful of different tax policies we could have. There's probably a way in which you could have something that's sort of like a, a 1980s, 1990s Democrat view of taxes or a 1980s, 1990s Republican view of taxes that are both compatible with what Scripture teaches about society. Similarly, okay. if you were to ask about immigration, uh, you might be able to look at the Old Testament and say, well, we're not a covenantal nation like Israel is, but how is Israel taught to treat the sojourner. And as a Christian, yeah. then I think we should treat people who are not Americans in a similar way. Uh, and then you could probably, from that principle, develop a couple of different immigration policies, sure. right? Uh, you could do this all sorts of things. You could do it with the poor and homeless. You could do it with, um, you know, just anybody who really counts as like downtrodden or quote unquote, the least of these. Now you want to be careful that you don't run into a social gospel movement as the church did at one point. Uh, in the 19th, in the 20th, early 20th century. But I think you can develop positions that are compatible with Scripture. Sure. Uh, however, we actually have the opposite problem now, where there are things that the Bible speaks explicitly to that politics didn't used to talk about, that politics now does talk about. Okay. Uh, so the, the classic example here is abortion. Yep. Uh, abortion was a theological issue far before it was a political issue. And it was actually uh, Christian's view, or I should specifically say Protestant's view, of the separation of church and state that led to America getting the answer on abortion wrong yep. for, most, for almost 50 years. Yep. Right? It was Protestants not stepping up and saying, oh, actually, I, there's a theological thing. There's something in the scriptures that speaks to this, and this should not be a political debate. This should be decided by our worldview and our theology. Uh, Catholics understood that. They had a much better position on it early on, but hmm. Protestants like Baptists and Presbyterians, we didn't really get in the fight until post Roe v. Wade. Uh, and was that a fear of like kind of like what we're talking about in this in this podcast of like maybe the church just in general thought that we needed to stay out of politics? It was so. There's a couple like of trying different to cross these lines. There's a couple of different ways you can answer it. One is that at that time the churches were not particularly theologically robust. Okay. And so there was a lack of understanding of the theological implications of This abortion. is like 60s, right? Roe Ro versus Ro Wade, Wade area is, you're talking about? Uh, 1973. 73, okay. Roe v. Wade. Um, but yeah, that's. But if you think about it, you can extend it into the 60s because the same theological issue that's going to inform uh, your average evangelical's view of Roe v. Wade would have also informed their view of the Civil Rights Movement. Oh, interesting. And that's uh, 1964 is the Civil Rights Act yeah. that, that gets rid of Jim Crow, breaks down the, the quote-unquote separate but equal concept uh, between blacks and whites in America. Yeah. And so it was, there was a sense in which Christians, in order to not deal with social issues, separated political issues that actually came from, that imply I should say it this way, that implied certain theological beliefs. Mm -hmm. And they decided, well, we're going to separate these two things out. And then at some point in the 1980s, 1990s, Francis Schaeffer, who was a big influence on me, was a big part of this in the 1980s, mm -hmm. uh, realized, hey, these political issues, if we view them in a certain way, like Mirio Cuomo saying, well, I can personally believe this, but I'm not going to force it upon a bunch of people. If we take a position like that, we're we're, there's a sense in which we're lying about what we believe. Mm. Uh, because if you believe murder is wrong, 
you want a society that says murder is wrong. That's how you govern, yeah. Yeah, and, and so there's, you know, my, I mean, I can say it that way pretty easily, right, is that if you table abortion and you just actually go to laws about murder, I believe murder is wrong. Why do I believe murder is wrong? Because of the Ten Commandments, first mm-hmm. and foremost. Because sure. of Genesis 1 and 2, first and foremost. Yeah. Not because, I didn't sit down and think, you know, a good society is one in which we don't kill each other. Now, that's true as well. Mm-hmm. But it actually comes after the fact that we're made in the image of God and after the fact that God says because we're made in his image that we ought not to kill each other. You yeah. know, that, so that comes later. So, you know, there was this idea that the church shouldn't talk about politics, but now politics has become ubiquitous. It's gotten everywhere. And so there's a sense in which we, if we were to say the church mm-hmm. should not talk about politics, then there are passages in the Bible which I, as a pastor, am obligated to put before the mm-hmm. congregation am obligated to preach on if they come up. But there's passages I would have to avoid teaching because they have crystal clear political implications. Yeah. And instead, I think the, the questions that, we're be, that we have begun to engage in politically are not questions which are best answered in our political sphere. Uh, and so, I mean, we, we'll get into this in the class, but there's, yeah. there are things like, I would use the term natural law, there are things that the world says that is of, I would say, uh, information, data, and evidence available to everybody because it's just the way the world works. It's the way God structured the world. And when we start asking questions about that politically, mm-hmm. we're actually exceeding the boundaries of what our political system has the right to talk about. Uh, so, I mean, that if you were to, the, that's a long answer, but the brief answer isn't the church not supposed to talk about politics. Mm. The church is supposed to talk about whatever is in Scripture. Yeah, as we read it. Yes, and as the as our political system has become, really actually, has, as people have engaged in politics in a re- religious fashion, it's stepped into areas of life that uh, really shouldn't be part of the political discussion. They should be set uh, and decided mm-hmm. on the basis of the way the world is. Yeah. Well, this is, you know, when you did a, the recap with a Jim originally talking about what 2024 looks like, mm-hmm. I think that a lot of the people at the church are kind of into it. They know what they're expecting now and oh, they yeah, see what's yeah. coming. But it is very intentional about not specifically politics, but just more so collectively growing mm-hmm. through this year so that 2020 doesn't happen because you yeah. guys talked about how insane that year was. Mm-hmm. You know, it came in so many different waves. So, uh, you know, one of the questions could be, um, why aren't you guys just doing a a teaching series? Why aren't you doing it in the pulpit? Why aren't you just doing Mm -hmm. this class up there? Why, like why, it's kind of two parts. Why, why aren't you guys doing a series specifically? And then like, why does it need to be a midweek service? You know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get that question a lot. And sometimes I wonder if that question comes from, you know, I'm committed to driving here on a Sunday morning, but I don't really want to come a second time to church. <laughs> and so why not? I, but I'm interested in what you guys have to say about this, what you think the Bible says about just this. Just give it on so, Sunday. <laughs> yeah, so why can't we just do it on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, and I, as somebody with three children, in which inevitably one of my children is almost always sick. Mm. And so it just like, you know, when you get... When you've got kids, you've got a busy life, you know, illness is going around, it circulates through the house. One kid gets sick, then he gives it to the other kid, then he gives it to the baby, then the mom gets nice it, and then mom gives life. it to me. And it's yeah. just, you know, it goes around. And so, you know, it gets so hard to make it to church. I totally understand that. As well, we have, um, you know, we have been blessed by having a lot of older saints in our church, and driving at night is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and wanting to, to recognize that and going, yeah, there's real practical reasons why getting here is difficult. So why do it on a Sunday or why not do it on Sunday? Yeah. Uh, I would say there's basically two reasons for it. Okay. One is the specific content of my class. Uh, it does not lend itself to the preaching format. And the second is, and this is the more important thing, actually, uh, when we gather on a Sunday morning, there are certain things that we are to do and certain things that we are not to do. And it's not that we're not to do them because they're bad. It's that we're not to do them at that time because that's not what that gathering is for. Mm -hmm. Uh, Part of protecting the quality of discipleship of our Sunday morning gatherings is is rightly understanding their purpose. And I would say 
we're, we're actually going to talk about this in our membership class on when, this coming Wednesday night. I would say anchoring everything we're doing on a Sunday in Scripture. Uh, and what I mean by that is not that my class is going to talk about politics sort of devoid or different than, than I think Scripture allows us to, mm-hmm. but rather to say uh, the goal of us gathering as a, as a corporate church on Sunday is fundamentally Christian formation. And there are certain things that God promises he will form us through and he will work in and his Holy Spirit will be at work through us as we engage in them together. That makes sense. And uh, so, I mean, the classical way to think about this is there's a term, the regulative principle, and there's a term, the normative principle. These are two different ways to think about what you do on a Sunday morning. The regulative principle says, we only do on a Sunday morning that which we find in the Bible and that which we're instructed to do or commanded to do and that which we're taught to do, which means which means it's explained to me how I'm supposed to do it and I'm told that I must do it. Uh, the normative principle says I, I limit my worship on a Sunday morning to things that are not sinful, basically. Like if essentially if the Bible doesn't say I can't do it, then I'm allowed to do it. Mm, so. Uh, now, here's why I think the regulative principle is a better way to approach the Sunday morning gathering. The regulative principle protects the unity of the church. It protects my conscience as an individual Christian. And it, it uh, ensures that in small ways that I might not notice, God is working in me. And it does that because it, uh, to work back in reverse order, uh, I know that God is at work in me because he told me that he would be through the things that we do. So he says, when we gather and we initiate our gathering with a call to worship, um, which means that's how the gathering starts. Uh, so we're called to worship by God's word. And then, so when we gather around God's word, when we sing praises to him and sing to each other, uh, hymns, psalms, and spiritual songs, as Colossians says, mm-hmm. uh, when we sit under the authority of the word, when the gospel is proclaimed, when the word is read, uh, I can't remember which Timothy it is because I'm bad with numbers, but in one of them, uh, Paul says, uh, do not neglect the public reading of Scripture. Mm. Uh, and so it's, which is interesting. That's different than expounding the purpose or expositing Scripture. He's literally just saying, when you gather together, you must read the Bible aloud. Out loud, uh, yeah. yeah. And so when we sit under the, the reading of Scripture and when we pray together, that's good. Uh, and when we do all of those in acknowledgement of the structure of the church that god has ordained which for us we view elders and deacons so we have kind of deacon roles helping guide us through the service and we have elder roles giving authority to the service hence why we have the pastoral prayer comes from one of the elders hence why one of the elders usually one of the pastors is preaching the gospel Um, when we do those things god promises to be at work whether we notice it or not so it protects my discipleship uh as well it protects my conscience and you can think about this like, so you do this ministry, this evangelism ministry, kind of apologetics ministry online, and you mm-hmm. interact with a lot of concepts that are like kind of outside the church, like new age kind of stuff, right? Sure, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're, you would be aware that there are worship practices that Christians do that are similar to, usually because they were stolen, uh, <laughs> to like new age kind of things, right? Yeah. So new age has like a, a form of meditation that would look similar to Christian meditation or prayer. Right. Yeah. Fair to say, but there's also new age practices that are we would say syncretistic at best, which is syncretism is a when you mix things, mix philosophies together. Yeah. So at best, there it's a mixing of philosophy. At worst, it's like practicing heresy. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the reason why that's important is if somebody gets saved out of a background of say Islam, Judaism, New Age, some kind of paganism, something like that, they show up in the church. There might be something that because they're rejecting the religion of their dead spirit, they show up and they see something similar to what we're doing, right? Yeah. And that gets them a little bit worried. Yep. Well, I can point to everything we do on a Sunday and say, here's where in Scripture it, we're told to do this, and here's how we're doing it, and I can explain it. And what I'm doing when I do that is I'm protecting that person's conscience because they no longer see themselves as condemned before God for participating in, say, prayer that looks kind of like meditation or mm-hmm. participating in singing that looks kind of like something they did before. Now they're participating in something that they know God's Word approves of and that they're commanded to do. Yeah. Whereas if we were to, say, have practices—I don't want to be careful here. There's a bunch of practices that you could do 
that are not necessarily bad, but if somebody comes in say, being saved out of, say, like a cult background, mm -hmm. and they come in and they engage with something, um, we might be challenging their conscience in, in saying, uh, in having them participate in that. Uh, and it might not be right or wrong, right? Like one of the things about conscience is if you violate your conscience, you are in sin, regardless of whether you're right or wrong about it, right? Like that's the, like, I might be able to make an argument that a Christian can vote for the Republican Party, but if you, if you are deeply concerned and you believe like I can't vote for the Republican Party and that's a deep down conscience conviction for you to vote, vote for the Republican Party without me showing you in scripture where it's okay mm -hmm. is actually for you to sin. And that's like one of the things I'm going to talk about in my class is that the Bible doesn't tell us which party to vote for. Mm. So it's like you would be wrong about that. Mm -hmm. You would be wrong to have a conviction that strong in a sense, but the fact that you're wrong doesn't change the fact that you violating your conscience. Is yeah. So similarly, there are things that you can do I'll take one that's pretty easy because I can say nice things about it. <laughs> you can worship God while dancing. Mm -hmm. But let's say you come out of a Native American background. Sure. There's worship practices that involve dancing and spiritism, right? Yeah. So if I go, hey, instead of singing a song after the pastoral prayer, uh, Sarah is going to play some great piano music and we're all going to dance. And if it looks comparable enough to what you would have done in your Native American background, that can prick your conscience because you're associating that with a false religion that you left. Yep. And I can't, like, I can't show you where it says when you gather together, dance. Uh, but I can show you where it says when you gather together, sing. And so we can, we can mitigate and protect people's consciences by anchoring everything we do in Scripture. Yeah. Whereas if we're doing stuff that you can, as an individual, worship in outside of Scripture, I can't alleviate a pricked conscience that way. No. And then the third thing was that it protects the unity of the church. Um, and it does that because I have subjugated all of my preferences mm -hmm. to what scripture says. So I'll say, I don't particularly enjoy, or I, I should, I should correct it. When I became a Christian, I did not particularly enjoy singing in public. I would go to concerts all the time, but I didn't sing the songs. I was there to like intake <laughs> a cool show. Right. Yeah. And, but I'm actually commanded to sing. And so I subjugate my preference for not singing to the command to sing as an encouragement to others. Yeah. Uh, and so we can, if going back to the dancing thing, if I said, we're going to dance, uh, that's actually me taking somebody's preference and elevating it, whereas other people might be uncomfortable with that. Yeah. Um, and I can't, the people who are uncomfortable, I can't say, well, you know, here's where it says in scripture that we're supposed to dance. And so I'm actually elevating a preference over here that I can't prove biblically uh, over somebody else's preference. Yeah. But it, with the regulative principle, we submit all of our preferences to Scripture. Now, I've been talking about that for a while, so let me remind us where we yeah. where we came from. This was in context of why not do a preaching series on this? Yeah, specifically. Well, because because when we gather, like we're, I'm going to teach this in a classroom kind of setting, and that is not. Uh, part and parcel of one of the things that we're told to do when we gather together. A sermon and a lecture are different things. Yep. And so I can't lecture on, say, the definition of liberalism and how Christians should think about a liberal democracy or a constitutional republic. I can't do that and be satisfying the regulative principle. Mm -hmm. uh, and part of that's because the scripture doesn't explicitly speak to it. Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's, I could... I might be able to use it as an example, but it would be very tangential, right? No. So if I'm concerned with protecting the unity of the church, if I'm concerned with protecting uh, individual consciences, and if I'm concerned with protecting the quality of discipleship that mm -hmm. we're doing on a Sunday morning, then that means I need, for things that I need, to, that we need to talk about and explain what the biblical view or theological view is on a certain thing, but doesn't, it doesn't uh, neatly fit into what mm -hmm. we do on a Sunday, I need to have a different venue to do that. Yeah, then that makes total sense. Uh, like quick thoughts real quick from my mind. Mm -hmm. Like yesterday I was chewing on Galatians 1 and mm -hmm. I was talking with a friend and we actually did a, a filming on it and just talking about like the doctrines of men and stuff. And when you read Galatians 1, Paul was very clear that he didn't seek out anyone else's opinion. He, he went out to Arabia. I think uh -huh. it's like verse 10 or it's right after he says that, um, you know, if anyone preaches another... Uh, gospel, let them be accursed. He then goes and says that like when, when Christ revealed himself to him and that he was saved, he set aside a time where he just leaned and kind of ties in with the service today that Jim uh -huh. was talking about leaning 
and being led by the Lord, he purely was saturated with the scriptures because mm-hmm. he had to go back and re uh, renew his mind in the text because he knew yeah. the Torah, right? Right. But Paul was redeveloping his mind and getting new muscle memories of how to, to love and learn and follow Christ, right? Mm-hmm. To live like Jesus. And it was all from his word. And I think you're saying on Sunday, that is the that is the encouragement. And you will get into individual things as we go, you know, verse by verse, as we get into Daniel, as mm-hmm. we get into Thessalonians yep. and, and, and those different texts. Yeah, and there will be political implications Absolutely, to yeah. texts we cover uh, in when we look at the book of Daniel after Easter, when we look at Second Th- or First Thessalonians at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And also in between those two, we're going to preach a series on what it means to be human. And we're going to think about the image of God. We're going to think about how God made us body and soul. We're going to think about all these different things about what, how God made us mm. as persons. And each of those will have political implications as well. Because, yeah. And that's one of the things is, you know, to go back to the previous question of, you know, how does the church, should the church talk about politics? Well, the church has to talk about what it means to be made in God's image and what it means to be human. Yeah. And we've taken, if we've taken questions about what it means to be human and imported them into politics and are making policy decisions on the basis of those uh, ungrounded from theology, from philosophy, or at least I should say supposedly ungrounded from theology or philosophy. Mm. People are saying, well, you got to check your religion at the doors. You go into politics as you walk into the Senate, but you, that's not true for everybody. Right. It's usually just when they say that they're talking to evangelical Christians. <laughs> yeah, um, 100%. And, uh, and so we're making these decisions. Well, those are those are theological positions first and foremost that have political implications, right? So, I mean, I might treat the immigrant, the homeless, the uh, single mom, the, uh, the, I mean, all of these different kind of groups of people that we have in our society, the least of these, I will treat them differently because of how the Bible describes who they are and how they've been made. Yeah. Uh, What kind of a, what kind of a thing a person is, uh, but yeah. yeah, but yeah, like Paul, I mean, he gleaned from the scriptures and that's what your guys' intention to do is, is mm-hmm. to not just sit in a class all day long and just like, oh, all we're going to do is just learn from men. We're going to learn from the Lord. And right. that's, that's the intention on Sunday. But it's like, hey, we do also need to, we need to do a breakout group, kind of mm-hmm. like they say, and just really identify where the church um, leans on the Lord in these specific areas. Yeah. And that's what you want to be in intentional about in this midweek all right so like i have tons of other questions but Mm. i know we don't have the time for that (laughs) there's this thing stimulates so many different ideas and i'm Mm -hmm. sure lots of people have opinions and and thoughts and so i strongly encourage you guys to come to the class so tyler's going to tell us exactly what we're going to get into Mm -hmm. in these 11 weeks he's going to just kind of uh you know scratch the surface and i strongly encourage you to pay attention so that you see the things that are going to be shot out and you can come with questions yeah, so we're going we're gonna to do 11 sessions. There's a break in there. It'll be 12 weeks long because we're going to take, there's a week off. Okay. So there's a break in there on the week of Easter. We're taking, we're taking that week off. Yeah. Every, every one of the, the disi- midweek discipleship classes is taking that week off. Um, so there's 11 sessions. Uh, the first session, we're going to s- kind of set the table by talking about how do people feel about politics. Uh, and we're just kind of getting out like what... What sort of attitude do I approach politics with? Am I burnt out on politics? Am I overly enthusiastic about politics? Am I skeptical about politics? Whatever it is, we just want to we just want to set the table for how do we approach this subject matter. Mm-hmm. And then uh, in that same session, we want to talk about some key passages that are going to direct us to think generally about church and state issues and about nations and about politics. And we want to define some terms. I think one of the reasons why the political discussion gets so heated and uh, why there, I should say, why there's so much heat and so little light mm. is because we have so little understanding about our actual political system. So it's just yeah, important to define terms. What does liberalism mean? What is a constitutional republic? What is a democracy? Uh, what is what is republicanism? What is, And, you know, just going through and defining terms yeah. uh, so that so we can important. be on the same page. Because you know, there may be people in the church that disagree with me, polit- that they would think we disagree politically, but then it just turns out we're using <coughs> these terms in a different way. You know, does liberalism refer to the political party of the Democrats or does it refer to a philosophy 
which our founders believed and has to do with trying to balance uh, f- uh, the term was ordered liberty. Mm-hmm. So how to have the right amount of order and the right amount of freedom in order to produce the most flourishing society for individuals. So that's week one, defining yeah. those kind of things. Awesome. Week two is to talk about the big theological concepts uh, that people have used to engage with politics. So this would be um, th- a couple of terms we're going to look at is they they usually have two in them. So there's two cities, uh, two kingdoms, two ages, and it's tr- it's a way of trying to figure out how do I think about the world uh, and, or I should, how do I think about the world and how do I think about um, uh, the realm which God rules over or something like that. I, it's a, we'll get more into it and that'll be more clear. But there's different ways in which Christians have throughout the ages conceptualized how the Bible tells us to engage with politics. And so that's what we would call political theology. So, okay. Um, and we'll do that week two. Nice. Week three, we're going to look at and we're going to spend the entire time together trying to understand and answer the question, is America a Christian nation? Uh, which even saying that, some people listening to this might be like, well, obviously it, <laughs> and then they've got in their mind either is or isn't. Loaded, yeah. And a big part of that is actually, I bet if you rightly understand what somebody means asking that question, most Christians would come down in the same place. But the problem is we actually don't understand the question. Is America a Christian nation? Does that mean is America founded on Christian principles? Does that mean all of the founders were Christian? Does that mean this country is in covenant relationship with God? Yeah. Uh, does like is what, it currently governed by Christian? Is it currently governed standards? by Christians? Yeah. Are we? Yeah. Uh, is it a is it a moral concept, a theological concept, a yeah. biblical? And so I mean, and I bet <clears throat> once we get into that and start unpacking all the different things you can mean by that question, we mostly are going to come out with the same answer to the various versions of is America a Christian nation? Interesting. Uh, but. One of the reasons why we have so much tension and disagreement is because we don't actually know what somebody else says means when they say that. So that's week three. Week four, we're going to talk about the Christian system, or not the Christian system, the political system that we have. So America is a liberal democracy, a constitutional republic. Mm-hmm. So we're going to talk about those two terms. We will have defined them in week one. Oh, and then we're going to talk about how should a Christian think about and operate within those spheres yeah uh and what does that mean for us um yeah all sorts of things uh week five we'll talk about philosophy um and particularly um what is the natural world and what is uh what does the natural world tell us about how we can live with people who disagree with us what does it mean to be human and what does that require from us politically and then what is the major problem in our current political discourse Mm mm-hmm We'll look at those things in uh, session six. Um, this one's going to be, uh, this will be fairly practical, uh, and it ha- it deals with um, how do we get our information and how do we think about the things that are coming up. And so I've titled this session "Truth, Trust, and Technology in Culture and Politics." Oh, nice. And um, one of the big things that we have seen, and by the way, the textbook that comes with the class. So all the classes. All the adult classes cost $10, and if you buy, if you sign up for the class uh, and pay $10, you get the book for free. Cool. Now, when I was a high school teacher, I hated having to assign homework that if you didn't do the homework, you didn't understand what was taking place the next time we got together. Uh, And so what I have done since I was a college professor and high school teacher is I, my textbooks that I assign always run parallel to, but are not necessary to understand the class. So the textbook for this class is called Digital Liturgies. And it's about how to think about and how to interact in a digital world because Mm. we've seen that people can lie easier in the digital world, that people, um, that fact-checking is difficult because there's so much stuff out there and because it's hard to know where you're going for source material and things like that. Uh, But the, the nature of media and digital media in particular has changed the way in which we engage with and understand politics. Oh, yeah. And so... We're going to talk about what is the importance of truth in the American government system and what is the importance of truth in the Christian theological system. Uh, how do we trust people and yeah. what is our requirement for trust in a society? And then how do we understand the role of technology and culture and what is good or bad for us to engage with technologically? Okay. Um, 
The next week we're going to look at, uh, I've titled this The Map, and it's Politics, Culture, and Religion in the 2020s. So we're just going to kind of think about uh, politics as a general thing. Red versus blue, where people line up, what issues go with what party, okay. and how things have changed um, from prior to 2020, basically from COVID on, how has our political system changed, yeah. and how should we think about that as Christians. Uh, and then we'll look at... Um, I've titled this one The Line, and it's because we're in this week, and this is one of the things that I think is important for us to think about, for people who are going to sign up for this class to hear. Um, it is week nine, no, week set, week eight, session eight, that we are going to start talking about issues. <laughs> and the reason why I've titled it The Line is because the political issues, which are actually not first and foremost political, but are first and foremost theological, moral, ethical, or philosophical, the way we understand our position on them is we can either draw a straight line from what the Bible says or what the history of theology says to the actual issue. So the Bible tells me murder is wrong. The Bible tells me life is to be uh, cherished and loved and is a gift from God regardless of how it comes to being. Straight line issue, abortion is therefore wrong. And yeah. so I ought to oppose politically abortion. Jagged line issue would be here's what the Bible says about what a person is and what uh, nationhood is and then how do i understand an immigration policy based off of that well it's going to require me to You're it's going to require like things. moving a car like one's just a you back out and you go and this one's like a nine point turn like you got to yeah. try and get out of a tight parking spot in order to figure out so we're going to look at i'm i'm stealing a term from jonathan lehman he talks about straight line issues versus jagged line issues okay um and so We'll look at that. We'll look at the issues and see which ones are straight line, which ones are jagged line, um, how we think about that. Uh, the next session, we're going to look at voting. Uh, what should we think about parties, politicians, and platforms? Uh, and then the next, the week after that, we will look at the ballot um, and uh, and think about, I jokingly wrote, um, should I or will I be writing in Jesus to hasten the apocalypse into the, <laughs> into the Interesting. line? But it's just the... How do I vote? How should I think about voting? Is there a philosophy to voting? Mm -hmm. um, or is it just, is there is there more to voting than just a binary choice? Yeah, is it just Republican, party, Republican, Democrat, or is there actually a way in which I can look at my ballot and think about it in a more nuanced way that even if my person loses, mm -hmm. um, maybe sends a message? Yeah. Uh, or how is my ballot viewed? How, is, how should I view my ballot as a Christian? And how does the political system view my ballot? Yeah. So we're going to talk about that in session 10. And then we are going to end uh, with session 11, which is the church as an institution, the path to formation, and the church's role in the world. Mm. And so we'll think about separation of church and state and ultimately why our greatest hope is um, in Christ and his body working here on earth and not in Amen. prince's powers and principalities. That's right. Man, I am I'm super excited. This it, it, I got to tell you, you put us at a fork in the road because it makes it really hard for us married people that, you <laughs> know, true. are excited to continually mm -hmm. pour into our marriage and, and, and grow there. But also, this is a very important thing as we've gone through just in this talk. Um, ultimately, we all will stand before the Lord and we will, you know, um, have to know how to navigate these things. And, and God really wants us to reason through and understand mm -hmm. how to work through these hard things. And it should start with the scriptures. And so this is exciting. This is yeah. this is definitely, um, and I think that a lot of kids should be involved in this. Mm -hmm. I think the young adults, I think I highly encourage everyone in the body can be blessed by this mm -hmm. um, and, and make the time to come because he's talking about not just terms and vocabulary, but like the idea of looking at a ballot. I know like as a young adult, I, I could have cared less because mm -hmm. of my BC days on what voting looked like. But as I learned the responsibility, like ultimately these are people that are running for a position and you are yeah. not forced. Mm -hmm. It's like if someone was to come and be a maid at your house, like you're not forced to just go with this company. Like you can talk to them and say, hey, where do you stand on these things and do these things? And hey, you don't fit up to this role. Right. And maybe a maid's not a, a good example. I'm not good at analogies, but the the point is there that these are things that we will stand before God on, and it's not like we stand before America on it. Mm -hmm. Like we have a blessed yeah. opportunity to be involved in this. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, we should seek the Lord on it first. So thank you for doing this, and uh, I'm excited, man. 
Yeah. I'm, I'm really encouraged by this. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to teach the class. I've been thinking about this, as I said, 2020, thought about it in 2016, mm -hmm. been thinking about it for a long time. And the goal, I should say, the goal of the class is to be faithful. Yeah. Right. And uh, whether we like it or not, whether we're burnt out on it or not, uh, politics has become a part of our lives. And mm -hmm. so we want to think about that. Uh, we we want to think deeply about it. And we want to... We want to think and approach it in such a way in which we feel good about what we do that Tuesday in November when mm -hmm. our ballot is cast. And we feel, hey, win or lose, I tried to honor God with this. Yeah, that's right. And uh, and I I understand the tension of the, the marriage versus the politics class. One's a hot topic and one's probably better for your flourishing in mental health. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I, I would say... Uh, I don't think you can go wrong with it. Uh, I'm a little bit jealous of everybody who takes the marriage class that I don't get to yeah. uh, be in it because I, th I think Jim and Stacey are going to do an excellent job with that class. So pray about yeah. where uh, you think the Lord would have you, yeah. where uh, the Lord wants to grow you. Um, don't try and make an easy decision. There are some people who are going to go, oh, the politics class is definitely for me because I'm... I just I love know. to argue and I love politics. Yeah, or, <laughs> or I'm single, I'm not married, so obviously the politics class, like, you know... See. Each of these classes is not just for us, but God places us in communities. Mm -hmm. So you might be a married person who goes, you know, at my place of work, there's a lot of tension around politics. And if I learned better how to think about it and talk about it, this would be good. And so you might be a married person who should be in the politics class. Yeah. And you might be a single person who's surrounded by marriages that um, you would just love to be able to encourage. Uh, like, I'm going to officiate a marriage uh, or a wedding, I should say. I'm going to officiate a wedding like two months from now. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm going to do, and I do, I've done this with, uh, with the previous wedding I officiated um, before I came out here. Um, but I, I like to speak to the best man and to the maid of honor and tell them their job in the wedding of the people getting married because we need people around us who will talk about what a healthy flourishing marriage looks like yeah. and who will when we have arguments with our husband or his wife will point us back to our spouse will encourage us that's right uh, to love them sacrificially and things like that and so being a single person being like well obviously the marriage class isn't for me is is not thinking about marriage the right way right when a couple gets married that affects their entire community their entire group their entire friend circle and if we as friends and family and church members recognize what it means for them, then us understanding what a flourishing marriage looks like can can be such a benefit yeah. to those who who God puts around us. So true. Cool, man. Well, yeah. you just made it harder. Yeah, that's the goal. That's the goal. Yeah, make yeah. make make decisions harder so that you make them with more thought. That's right. And you feel good about them. But that's I mean we've probably gone over the time that we set aside for this. But that's uh, that's what we wanted to talk about this week. I'm excited for this class. I'm excited for Jim's class and Jeremiah's class and Holly's class as well. Uh, so for those of you listening, uh, pray about it. Sign up for a class um, and and show up here on Wednesday nights, uh, February 14th for Jim and Stacy, February 21st for the rest of the classes. Uh, on through the semester and man i really hope that the lord uses these to to grow us all as a church body and as individual believers but that's right thanks yep. for listening and, and we'll catch you next time see you guys thank you for listening to journey church tucson sermon podcast we'd love to have you join us in person on sunday mornings at 10 a.m you can find out more about us at journeyefc.org